All right, so Luke 5, verses 1 through 11. I should probably actually get there. Luke 5, verses 1 through 11. I read in Jesus' name. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing... (laughs) Okay, I'm just going to read it from here and not from up there because I'm just going to get confused. Um, On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we have toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me. For I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Let us pray. Father, As we come now to study your word, we ask that your Holy Spirit would come upon us to open our hearts and our minds to understand your word, Lord, and to apply it to our lives so we might live out your truth, Lord, and that you might be glorified in us and that we might look more like Christ. Father, so we ask that you would sanctify us through your truth, for your word is truth. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thanks, Jim. So here... We are looking at the, the second time that Jesus calls his disciples. Uh, the first time we see in the book of John, right after Jesus was baptized, John says, see, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so Jesus, uh, John is talking about Jesus there, and Jesus collects some disciples in the book of John. And it seems that those disciples were with Jesus for a while, but then they went home. They went They went back, and as they went back home, Jesus was going around, and he was proclaiming the gospel. He was preaching in the synagogues. He was, you know, he was doing some miracles, Um, and so Jesus was establishing his ministry. So as we look at the beginning of this passage, this isn't just, this isn't something that happened in some vacuum somewhere. But rather, this is part and parcel of how Jesus is ministering into, the place, into Galilee. He is establishing himself. He is showing the world, see, this is who I am. This is what is happening. And miracles are happening and people are being healed. Things are happening in the world. And, you know, not all of them. It, yeah. I'm, I don't want to get into the timeline because I find that when I start doing stuff like that, I get bogged down and I bog down the sermon. So as Jesus is going out preaching, proclaiming the word, People are hearing, people are believing, but at this time, Jesus doesn't have any solid, consistent disciples. And so as he's going out preaching, he sees an opportunity. So, but before we talk about his opportunity, what does this look like in our lives? What does it look like for us to establish ourselves? 
you know, this is, this is our lifestyle. These are our words. This is, you know, how many of you think that our world would be better off right now if there were more Christians? Any of you? I, I think so. I think a lot of the nonsense that's currently going on, and I know people argue, well, organized religion is the heart and soul of all the evil that's ever happened in the world. Like, eh, no, not, not really. I would say that they're wrong, for lack of a better word. They're just wrong. So, how do we make more Christians? Like, what's our first step? What's our first step to calling people to Jesus? It, it is evangelism, but evangelism is the whole. Like, within evangelism, what's our first step? It's to do what Jesus is doing here, and it's to establish ourselves. Like, what's our lifestyle? How do we live? How do we interact with people? What does it look like? Are we actually living this stuff out? Is it affecting, like... I've used this illustration before, but I'll use it again because it's poignant. If I say smoking is bad, smoking is harmful to you, smoking is going to ruin your lungs, and Jim and I are going to go outside later and smoke some cigars. Like, what would I be saying? You shouldn't do it, but rules for thee, not for me. I look like a modern politician. Um, wow, that was almost snarky. No, that was snarky. There's no almost there. But it'd be, it'd be hypocritical, wouldn't it? And so if I'm telling you guys, you know, don't smoke, it's bad for you, and then I go and light up a stogie or a cigarette, or does any, yeah, people don't say that anymore, do they? Hmm. I've got to really revamp some of my vocabulary. But if I go out and start smoking, I'm going to show myself to be a hypocrite. And so if I'm going to be preaching to people, you know, it's not good for you, it's unhealthy for you, stay away from it, which, I'm, whatever. It's an example. Whatever. That's not the mainstay of my ministry by any stretch of imagination. But if I'm going to be saying that, I should be living it out, right? And so also here, my lifestyle should speak before I do. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's going out, he's proclaiming the gospel, and he's, as he's proclaiming the gospel, he's healing people, he's casting out demons. Both of those things, his, his logos, they're, they're intermingled. His word, the expression of who he is, his lifestyle and everything he's saying are perfectly lined up. And so as Jesus is going out and about, he's already going out and about established. There's already crowds following him. There's people who want to hear it because they're seeing that, you know what? Here's a message that actually changes lives. Just look at this guy. Look at what he can do. Look at his lifestyle. Look at how he's interacting with people. Look at the love that's shining through him. This is a message that can really change lives. And now he's walking along the Sea of Gennesaret. He's walking along the Sea of Galilee and there happens to be a crowd and he wants to take the opportunity to proclaim the gospel and there's some boats. And what were we talking about today in our adult Sunday school? Making the best use of every opportunity. So that's what Jesus is doing. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put a little bit from the land and sat down and he taught the people from the boat. Now, we don't know how long this sermon was. It probably wasn't, you know, it probably was a longer message teaching these things. And so he's pulling Simon in. He's saying, hey, Simon, I need your help. Jesus, note this. Jesus isn't coming in as the one who's powerful. Jesus is coming in asking for help. Um, I think it was Benjamin Franklin who said, you move into a new place, the best way to start a good relationship with your neighbors is to ask them for a favor. Because then you owe them. 
And so Jesus is making the most of this opportunity. He has a need. You know what? There's Simon's ability to fill it. All right, I'm going to ask Simon. I'm going to call him into this ministry. He's already made Simon a part of the ministry ever before he calls Simon to be a disciple. Think about that. Uh, how many of you like to ask other people for help? Eh, I put down my hand. I don't like asking for help. You know, I'm a good Scandinavian farm boy. We pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, right? That's the way you do things. I don't like asking for help. That's terrible. That means that I'm weak. And Jesus, what does he do? How do we make the most of this opportunity? Hey, you know what? I need your help. Come help me. Come do this with me. Simon's not a disciple. He knows who Jesus is. He walked with him for a little while. But he's not a disciple yet. He hasn't been following Jesus yet. So Jesus just calls him in and says, Hey, give me a hand. And he builds this relationship. Because when they were down in Jerusalem, they'd already built that relationship. They'd started it. And you know, this, this is what we're called to do. This is getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's. Oh, handy. He asked him to put a little from the land and he sat down and taught the people. You know, it's through our relationships. It's as we interact with people. And this is one of the reasons why I don't spend as much time online as some other people do is because I don't see those being real relationships. They can, they can bolster this. And this is how I think about it. I might be wrong, so please correct me if I'm wrong. But they might bolster real relationships, but they're not real relationships. You know, I've got 500 friends on or on Facebook. I don't actually have that many. I don't know how many friends I have on Facebook. So if any of you have, because I've, I've actually gotten a number of Facebook requests, friend requests lately. I don't know why. Um, don't be insulted if you don't get a response back. <laughs> but it's our relationships that are the avenues by which we can bring the gospel into this world. Because as, as we touch others through relationship, they're also touching other people through relationship. And so then that network continues to spread because these are, this is what's real. This is what our culture is lacking right now. We live in a culture that's lacking real relationships. Like, there's lots of reasons for the divides going on in our nation, but one of the reasons for that divide, that um, the amount of divide that we have, is because people don't have real relationships. You know, how many, how many people in this world actually have someone in their life that really cares about them? I'd say there's not a lot. Not a lot of people in this world where someone really cares about them. Well, they'll take the time to not just tell their story, but to listen to someone else's. You know, to really listen, to engage with that. That's sad. And so then people are hurt, and then they create those divides. Because that's how they live their lives. Just thinking about themselves. Because there's nobody else in their life that actually thinks about them. And they don't know Jesus. Or they don't know how much Jesus cares about them. They don't know the love of Christ. How are they going to know the love of Christ? Well, they can read their Bible, yeah. But the, the Holy Spirit wants to work through us. And so as Jesus is going about doing this, he's working through this relationship, this relationship that's already been established, using the situation that he's already established, using the opportunity that God has given him to bring the gospel into Simon's life. Because Simon's not Peter at this point. So then the miracle comes. The miracle comes and it's, this is great. And when he, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. Now that, that never made any sense to me until I realized that this is actually Jesus' second interaction with Peter. 
You know, and so Peter is, or Jesus is putting Peter to a test. This miracle isn't just some like, Jesus didn't just wave his hand over the water and say, all right, fish, come on in. You know, he could have done that. This is God. So he could have done that. What he does is he tests Peter because he tells him, hey, come and do this thing that didn't work in the past. You've just, you guys have been, how many of you are fishermen? Any of you? How many of you have said this to yourself? Just one more cast. <laughs> just, just, just one more hour. <laughs> just, you know, just a few more. And then had it fail and fail and f- what ultimately makes you go inside? The mosquitoes. <laughs> it's like, it's midnight. We haven't caught anything. I'm tired and my kids are crabby. <laughs> that, yeah, mosquitoes. It's just time. It's, it, we're done. We've given up. You just give up. If you got back to shore and someone said, hey, let's go out again exactly where you were. Now that you've given up, let's go back exactly where you were. We're going to catch some fish. You're like, no. Well, I would be, I would say no. Maybe some other people would say, okay, I'll do it. I'm game. <laughs> but that's what Jesus is telling Peter to do. He's telling Peter to actually go back. Now, Peter is a fisherman. That's what he does. That's his life. Go out into the deep. Okay, that's not where the fish that they're fishing are. And cast your nets. Master, we've been out all night. You're telling us to go in a place where I know there's no fish. That's not where we fish. You're, Jesus is putting Peter to the test, and that test is, will you submit to me or not? Will you submit to me or not? Because that's the test. Will you trust me, or will you trust your experience, or will you trust your own thinking, or will you trust what you've been taught? What are you going to trust? Are you going to trust me, or are you going to trust something else? And that's what Lindy was talking about in his prayer time. Sorry, I overheard you guys. What are you going to trust? Me? Or what the media says? What are you going to trust? Me? What the politicians say? What are you going to trust? Me or what the teachers say? What are you going to trust? What are you going to trust? Because that's what Jesus was bringing Peter to. Right there. Simon. Sorry. So he's bringing him to. What are you going to trust? Are you going to submit to me? Or are you going to submit to something else? Because you're going to submit to something. Like the great singer-theologian Bob Dylan said. <laughs> going to worship someone. Someone's going to be your Lord. Either, either it's going to be the Lord or it's going to be the devil, but you're going to worship someone. So who are you going to listen to? Who are you going to submit to? You're going to submit to someone. Who's it going to be? And what happens when Peter submits? What happens when Peter does that thing which the world has said that's not going to work, which his experience says that's not going to work? What happens? God reveals himself. The fish come. So many fish, the nets are breaking. You know, like, what happens when Peter submits to Jesus? God provides. God steps up. Peter is not a submissive personality. What are you talking about? Later in Scripture when we see it. I think Peter's totally submit. No, not at all. Peter could be Norwegian. Definitely not German. He actually listened. Um, <laughs> But, <laughs> no, I, you're right. Peter is not a submissive personality. Peter is not a pushover. And praise God for that because Peter had a hard calling. And you know, it's not a good, it's not always a good thing to be submissive because it's the question, what are you going to be submissive to? 
And so Peter makes the Lord his Lord instead of himself. And that's what we see happening. It's not, you know, Peter, Peter is one of those guys, he just does whatever. Does whatever other people say. Like, no, that ain't Peter. Okay. What was the first, you mentioned earlier that this is the second time that he, met, he had met Peter. Yep. So what was the first time then? That's in the book of John. So I'll, we'll look at John real quick. Um, so now that we all have our Bibles in our pews, <laughs> John 1, page 1,128, uh, Jesus calls the first disciples. And so it's John 1, verse 35 and on. So the next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus. And so this is John the Baptist, John the Baptizer, John the Forerunner, whatever you want to call him. Um, and he's talking to two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following, and he said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? So they're kind of shy at this whole thing, but they're asking in. And he said to them, Come and you will see. And they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, and it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. So that was the first time. So this is right, right around the time of John's baptizing of Jesus, probably right after. So Jesus is down in Jerusalem, starting to minister a little bit here, but not much because he's just interacting with individual people. He hasn't called, a, you know, crowds aren't coming yet. Um, and then these disciples are starting to interact with Jesus, but they hadn't been called to full discipleship at this point. They're not followers of Jesus. They're like fans of Jesus. You know, they're not groupies yet. So it's more of an introduction that we're dealing with here at this particular point. The one in John was the introduction. Like, who is this guy starting to establish that relationship? And then in Luke, we see Jesus calling Peter, saying, hey, come follow me. And Peter leaves everything behind and follows and so there's already been this relationship established, this idea that, hey, this is the Messiah. But what does that mean? What does that look like? You know, are you going to, is he going to be your Lord? Or is, are you just going to be around him? And so, does that, does that answer? Yeah, I guess, and, and I guess where I was going with that is, from Jim's point there, is where the, was there an animosity, you know, created on the first pass or was it truly just an introduction that they got introduced to one another? Yep, they got introduced. They spent, some, they spent the rest of the day together. It was the 10th hour and so, you know, they'd spent the rest of the afternoon with each other and so they got to know each other fairly well, probably, you know, a few hours, well, I don't know, a few hours, whatever a few hours is. And I would bet that Jesus is probably pretty open. <laughs> but yeah, that, and so they knew each other. They were friends. Acquaintances, at least. Uh, at very least acquaintances, yeah. And so, did it really hit Peter by this time? This is God. Probably not. But here, here God reveals himself. This is someone who's, who's not just really nice to have around, who's got a lot of potential, who's, you know, a great guy. This is someone beyond anything I understand. Because look at what's happening. They're astonished. This doesn't happen. You know, it, yeah. So, any other questions? James? 
Um, you said that he wasn't called Peter until after his second encounter with Jesus. But at his first encounter, he was called Peter. Why was he called Peter before the second call? See, this is the problem with you listening, because then you find when I make mistakes. <laughs> you, oh, Linda noticed it too, but yeah. So, we just weren't going to call you Oh, I, well. We were trying to be nice. I'm glad. You don't have to be nice to pastor. Um, so, when Jesus meets Peter in John, he calls him Cephas, which means rock, or Peter. And so here, Jesus is changing his name because he's describing his personality. This is what you're going to be. And Jesus touches on this name a couple of times throughout Peter's life, kind of establishing him as... Because if you rename someone, when, when you name someone, you give someone a nickname, it doesn't really happen in our culture. Well, if you, you name... How would it be if I came to your house and I renamed your dog? Like, what would you think? What are you doing? Like, what are you doing? <laughs> this is my dog. I named my dog. You know, and so you're to some degree taking ownership of that. When you're giving someone a nickname, you're establishing that relationship. Not so much as a master and, and, you know, like a nickname isn't so much like a master-servant relationship, but you're establishing a deeper relationship. You know, and that's the purpose of nicknames because this is what my friends call me. You know, and so what your friends call you, that's the person that I have a good relationship with. I've heard people say stuff, you know, and it's on TV shows every now and then. Well, my, f you know, so we'll pick on Jim. Well, my friends call me Jim, but you can call me James. You know, what, what, what does that mean? It means you're not my friend. You know, you can call me Mr. Bus <laughs> or whatever. So Jim's friends call him Jim, but what do his students call him? Mr. Bus. Why? Because Jim's not interacting with them as friends. You don't get my nickname. You get my formal name. And so when Jesus is interacting with Peter, he says, I don't want your formal name. I want a deeper relationship with you. Does that make sense? But, you know, and they picked a name that fit him. That's why I call you Jam. It's because you're sticky. No. <laughs> I don't know. Would Peter have understood that? Would Peter have understood that? I don't know. Maybe not right away, but Peter, throughout Peter's life, you see him engaged in that rock-like solid behavior that he was, he was the cornerstone, you know, of that early church. They relied on him. He embodied it. So did he understand it right away? No, but he embodied it later. So, yeah. Any other questions? This is great. You guys are on it. Right. So as Peter submits to Jesus, God reveals himself. This is who Christ is. Greater than anyone we know. Peter, Jesus establishes that relationship through the miracle. And, you know, does this mean then, what does this mean? Does this mean that we then have to start working miracles? Well, uh, we can't. God could work them, but we can't work them. But this means what happens when we submit to Christ. God works things that are greater than what we understand, greater than what we know. When we listen to God instead of listening to these other voices or the voices within, when we're listening to God and we're putting Him as Lord, God works mir 
miraculous things around us. And actually, they are miraculous things because lives are changed as we submit to Christ. Instead of saying, well, you know, this is what the Better Business Bureau says I should be doing. Like, well, what does Jesus say we should be doing? How does he say we should live? What does he say is important? What are we going to submit to? Because that's a test for us. This world pushing in on us saying, hey, you know, do things our way and you'll be safe. Do things our way and you'll be successful. Do things our way and you'll have purpose. And Jesus is saying, mm, do things my way. Who are we going to listen to? Who do we trust? Who do we submit to? Who do we want to see revealed? Do we want to see the world revealed as true? Or do we want to see Jesus revealed as God? So then Jesus turns to Simon after all of this. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. So what was Peter's interaction with this? Peter was, his doubt was revealed. He was convicted too. He was convicted. Peter doesn't come to Jesus and say, hey, hey, I'm your guy. Look at all the stuff I can do for you. I got this boat and I know how to fish. <laughs> you know, Kevin. So where's your point with the conviction? Peter was convicted because he said, get away from me. I'm a sinful man. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. He doesn't come in with pride. That's why I asked the question. I wasn't following where you're right. Verse 8. In verse, yep, in verse 8 there. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. And so, this whole situation, as God reveals himself in Peter's life, Peter's sin also reveals itself. So, did Jesus' miracle make Peter a sinner? No. Jesus' miracle simply revealed the sin within Peter's life. Think about that for a moment. Peter finally realizes his sin. So when Peter realizes his sin, he says, Jesus, I'm not worthy to be around you. He's convicted. I'm, I am a sinner. He is embodying like, this is who I am. He doesn't say, I have sinned. He says, I am a sinner. Like, this is what I am. Because Peter was finally, his eyes were finally open to who he was. So when we understand and see our sin, does that mean that God's going to turn his back on us? Jesus doesn't call Peter because of his righteousness. Jesus is interacting with Peter not because Peter's finally understood his sin. Jesus is interacting with Peter way before Peter has any concept of the amount of sin that's within his life. And so, when Peter says, Jesus, you got to leave, Jesus doesn't say, oh, Peter, I didn't know. Had I known, I wouldn't be talking to you right now. Thanks for letting me know. No. Peter's, Peter's sins or Simon's sins were not a revelation to Jesus. They were a revelation to Peter. Think about that. When you realize your sin and Satan says, you know, Ken, God would love you if you didn't do that. You know, Levi, God would care about you. There's a couple of them in a row. Don't worry. I can, 
I'll leave it ambiguous for you guys to deal with your own conscience. <laughs> you know, if you hadn't been acting like that, if you hadn't been thinking those thoughts, then God would accept you. That's Satan. Because you know what? God already knows. He's not shocked. So when he convicts us of sin and he calls us to bring them to him, God's not saying, oh no, I didn't know your sin was that big. God's saying, I've known it's about time that you do too. It's about time that you learn to deal with these things. Because that's how God interacts with us. He reveals to us our sin and he says, come follow me. It's not because we're not sinners. It's not because he didn't know of our sin. It's because that's why he's revealing them. He's revealing them so that we might follow him instead of following ourselves, instead of trusting in ourselves, instead of walking with ourselves, instead of making ourselves our Lord. You know, because who of you wants to follow a fool and have him leading you? None of us. I'm not going to go into that either. But I still don't know why you guys come and listen to me. Peter sees that he's a sinner. And so Jesus, what does Jesus do? For he and all who were wishing were with him were astonished to catch a fish. They already knew they was the Messiah, or they thought he, they did, but now they came to understand it. They were astonished. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. Jesus says, don't worry about that. Follow me. I've got, I've got greater work for you. I've got more for you. And this is what Christ calls us to now. And this is what we have to bring to the world because we live in a world that doesn't know why they're alive. We live in a world that doesn't know why they're alive. Why is suicide on the rise? Why is alcohol abuse, drug abuse? Why is every, every amusement, those things which bring lack of thought, why are they on the rise? Because we live in a world that doesn't want to be alive. They don't know why they're there. You know, those of you who interact with counseling or social work, see this. You're seeing this. It's on the rise. It's crazy. It's scary. It's terrifying. Why? Because they don't know why they're alive. Jesus says, I have work for you. I have a place. I have a mission. I have a calling. I have something greater. I will make you into something greater. This is what the church has to offer because this is what Jesus has to offer. You have a purpose in this world. Sure, you're a sinner. Don't worry. Follow, don't worry about that. Follow Jesus. He'll take care of it. He's got a calling in your life. And so Peter and these guys, Simon and these guys, when they, so Peter, James, and John brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed Jesus. Left behind their lives and said, you know what? Purity of focus. These things aren't going to weigh us down. Does this mean that that's what we're called to do? To leave your job and follow Jesus? No, follow Jesus in your job. Work your job for the sake of Jesus. Live your life for the sake of Jesus. Parent your children for the sake of Jesus. Grandparent or great-grandparent or great-great-grandparent <laughs> for the sake of Jesus. You know, do it for the sake of Jesus. Have that purity of focus. Do this for the sake of Jesus. Mechanic for the sake of Je Jesus. You know, plow the roads for the sake of Jesus. Take care of your pigs for the sake of Jesus. You can learn to preach to them. Edgar was talking about uh, practicing preaching. 
I know nobody that needs the gospel more than some people's pigs. That would be a great opportunity to learn to preach. Billy Graham went and preached in a swamp. You might as well preach to pigs. How about that? Do it for the sake of Jesus. Husband your wife for the sake of Jesus. Wife, your husband? I don't think we use that as a verb. But do it for the sake of Jesus. So what if we start oinking at each other? That's <laughs> <laughs> speaking in tongues. Then that's speaking in tongues. Okay. I don't even want to go there. Wow. Good question, Kevin. I have no idea. But purify, let us purify our focus. Instead of doing this for money or for fame or to, you know, to move ahead in the corporate ladder, instead of doing it for those reasons, let's do this for Jesus. I want to establish my life as a Christian. What does that look like in my job? What does that look like in my family? What does that look like as a dad? What does that look like as a son? What does that look like as a husband? What does that look like as a citizen? What does that look like as someone who lives in town or someone that lives in country? What does that look like? What does a Christian look like? Purify your focus. I want to do this because I'm a Christian. I want to show the world what a Christian is. How's a Christian to farm? How's a Christian to teach? I'm going to do this for Jesus, knowing that as I submit to him, he's going to reveal himself in this world. Because right now, he's calling you to be his disciple. He's saying, Kevin, follow me. Emily, Emily, Levi, Levi, follow me. Follow me. Maddie, do your school for the sake of Jesus. Monica, work at First Lutheran, for the, or not First Lutheran, First National, for the sake of Jesus. Shine his light. James, listen to your mom for the sake of Jesus. And for your mom's sake, too. <laughs> but this is what it means. Purify your focus. I'm going to do this for the sake of Jesus. Any questions? This is what it means to be a disciple. This is what Jesus calls us to. And this is what we have to call the world to. I don't know why I'm working this job. What was that story that Edgar was telling? You know, during Sunday school. Why am I here? I'm tired of this. Someone saved me. You know what? Jesus did. Follow Jesus. This is what the world, the church has to offer the world. Well, this is just a part and parcel of it. There's more. We've got more. Jim? Something I, that just kind of struck me. Um, so in verse 9, the scripture says, For he and all who were with him were astonished to catch a fish. And then it goes on and says, And so also were, okay, James and John, who are partners of Simon. So why is that in there? Because that must mean something. And what it meant to me is that they were partners. They knew Simon. Mm. They knew him well. They knew he wasn't a goody-goody. They knew it was false and things, but they were astonished that Jesus would bless someone like that as well. Mm-hmm. You know, so part of it too is us getting, getting to know and letting people know us so that our, yeah, I'm not perfect by any means, but I still, you know, when I submit, it's that much more meaningful. Because mm-hmm. it's yeah. easy if I was perfect. Yeah, it, it would be easy to submit to Jesus if we were perfect. It would be easy to pull the wool over people's eyes and say, you know, hey, I'm, I'm perfect. Come and, you know, perfect people follow Jesus. That's why I'm following Jesus. But you're right. These people knew Peter. They knew Simon. They knew what sort of a hard-headed, impulsive, 
should be Norwegian that he was. <laughs> you know, they knew him. And so when Jesus blessed him, when Jesus called him, you're right, absolutely. That that was, that action, if God can even work in Simon's life, oh shoot, he can maybe even work in mine. And so that's one way that God redeems the sins in our lives. You know, he doesn't, doesn't just call perfect people by the grace of God, but he can actually use, he is so powerful that he can use sins that have been brought to light. How about that? Why is he stuck from verse 10? Was that, it was saying that Jens and John, who were partners with Simon, Jens and John, I haven't been inspired that she called Simon that might have also wanted to come with Simon. That's true. Because they were both partners and inspired by Jesus. Yeah. No, they, that might have been one of the reasons. You're right, James. Good. Good. So he also calls us. Yeah. Calls us as a community, not just as individuals. Boy, there's more there, but I don't want to keep you guys that long. So with that, let's close with a word of prayer. Ufta. Father, thank you. Thank you for calling. Thank you for using. Thank you that you have established yourself, Lord, and that you call us to. Lord, thank you that you call us to call disciples and you call us to be disciples. Lord, we thank you that you call us to live these things out into the world. Lord, thank you for what you have given us that we have a place and a purpose, that we are called to be fishers of men, that we are called to have purity of mind, that we would do everything we do for your sake. Lord, that your light might shine into everything that we do and everything that we are. Lord, we thank you that you call us even though we have sinned. Lord, even though we are sinners. Lord, we thank you. Thank you that you empower us. And you give us opportunities in this world. Bless us now. Lord, as we meditate on these things, that we might live them out. Father, I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.